Welcome to The Painted Garden with Kimberly Trowbridge. This is a podcast about color theory and the creative life. Hello, sentient beings. Welcome back to The Painted Garden with Kimberly Trowbridge. I'm very excited that you returned for episode two because that means you are now officially an original color kitten. It was scary and exciting for me to put myself out there with that first episode. I've never done this quite exactly. But I've been thinking about the medium of words and how words have always been so important to me. And so while it was exciting and scary and new feeling, to put that first episode out, it also felt really natural, like this space that I'm in with you right now is a part of me already and that I've kind of punched a hole through my own perception or reality to carve out this intimate space that I've always been talking to you within. And so Thinking about the medium of words, both here, the spoken word with my new podcast, The Painted Garden, I'm also experimenting finally and again and eternally with the written word in my new blog that is on www.kimberlytrowbridge.com forward slash notes. If you're someone who likes to listen, then this is your place. If you're someone that likes to read, then you might enjoy that space. If you're someone that likes both, well, the two go hand in hand really quite lucidly. They're really kind of a back and forth, a kind of tango dance. This recent time for me has been a time of really starting to gather my talents together. I spoke with a healer, a spiritual healer, years ago that told me I was really in touch with the fox medicine and something specific about the fox that was influencing me at that time was like a squirrel kind of burrowing all of my talents or my nuts away, but forgetting where I placed them. A kind of natural hoarder, in a sense. Well, this time for me recently has been about kind of taking stock of those things, like my voice, the voice you're hearing right now and starting to bring those together into my home. In this quarantine time, the space where we're all being asked to be internal, to create new spaces for ourselves, And I imagine for most of us, starting to hear a voice within that is from our past, but not quite placeable, but very familiar, And something, that voice, something that is at the heart or the essence of a part of you that you've always been. 
So something of interest that happened very recently or has been happening is as I'm gathering these talents together and finding new modes of expressing myself and hopefully reaching people, I've experienced an unusual silence coming back to me. And I think a big part of that is simply this strange isolation mode that we are in, that someone like me, someone so intensely sentient, feeling, using all of my senses all the time, that not having the physical contact, for instance, with my students in our studio and reading their physical signs and responses to me and knowing that we're on the same page, that without that kind of physical reading of signs, it's been a really unusual time that feels truly like a kind of radio silence. And yet at the same time, I feel intensely that we are together, that we are leaning in towards a deeper listening and understanding and loving of each other. This is a matter of relativity, of scale, which leads us into our first topic today, which is contrast, which is the difference between things. Those of you that have studied with me know that one of my most common quotes that I say and a kind of foundation to my teaching method is the quote by Matisse where he says, I do not paint things. I paint the differences between them. I do not paint things. I paint the differences between them. Meaning, one is lighter, one is darker. One, this shape here, is warmer, perhaps, than this shape next to it, which is cooler. This shape here is really intense and loud and rich as a hue, but this one's really kind of quiet and gray and neutral. So what he's saying is that every shape or painted decision he's making is an expression of a relationship between things. Not the things themselves. Not this is an apple and that's a bottle and I'm going to try to paint that reality. But rather, on the two-dimensional surface, translated through the medium of color and paint. I'm going to focus on the differences between them in order to help me more clearly create an equivalent 
to what I'm seeing in paint. And so the way we use language to describe what we're seeing as a painter is extremely significant, is essential for how we can make articulate decisions when we're working. Now, of course, the blossomed colorist, where so many of those scales and those relationships become kind of intuitive or secondhand, that that intuitive body-like expressing of those relationships, of course, are the truest form of expression. And I even believe that each of us, trained as colorists or not, have an incredible intuitive ability to respond and create analogies to those relationships. Because we are all animals. We are all sentient beings that our whole lives have been responding to the environments in which we are manifest. The natural world, if you're lucky in terms of nature, plants, and animals. The urban world, certainly. But this visual place that we exist in and actively participate in creating through our perceptions we are constantly defining how to respond. So Matisse says, I do not paint things, I paint the differences between them. What is light, what is dark, what is warm, what is cool, what is intense, what is neutral, what is red, what is green. Now, keeping in mind this idea of relativity and contrast between things, I want to share with you another quote. It's by Georgia O'Keeffe, and it's one that is like a gong bell that tolls throughout nearly every day for me, especially recently. Georgia O'Keeffe said, I've been absolutely terrified every moment of my life, and I've never let it keep me from doing a single thing I wanted to do. I'm going to read that again for you. I've been absolutely terrified every moment of my life, and I've never let it keep me from doing a single thing I wanted to do. The bridge between these statements is the word and. She does not say, I am terrified, but I follow my heart. She says, I am terrified and I continue to follow my heart. This is a simultaneity. 
It is a contrast of things, of light and dark, of warm and cool. It is the ability to exist on the boundary between things, to recognize that both sides are true. Do we have the tools of simultaneity? Do we have the tools and ability to thrive knowing both sides are true? Knowing that beauty and terror live next door to each other and depend upon one another? Are we able to live with that razor-sharp distinction that is, in a sense, no distinction at all? That there is no light without darkness? That there is no warm without cool? This is the Arcadian landscape that we've entered. Arcadia is the place akin to paradise, but where a gravestone was stumbled upon by a shepherd and a nymph, which read, Et in Arcadia ego, it was death's voice saying, I am also in paradise. This is the stage of humanity. Enter temporality. Enter mortality. Enter consciousness of that mortality. The human condition. Can we survive and thrive with the tools of simultaneity? to build a new form, a life for ourselves and each other that admits both truths. Recently, I've been reading a wonderful book written by Rebecca Solnit. It is called A Paradise Built in Hell, and it was published in 2009. The subtitle is The Extraordinary Communities That Arise in Disaster. She's talking in this book about the extraordinary gestures of generosity that can occur between people, between neighbors, when facing great calamity or disaster together. One of the examples she talks about is the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Here is an excerpt that I want to share with you. Imagine a society where money plays little or no role, where people rescue each other and then care for each other, where food is given away, where life is mostly out of doors in public, where the old divides between people seem to have fallen away, and the fate that faces them no matter how grim, is far less so for being shared. Where much once considered impossible, both good and bad, is now possible or present. 
and where the moment is so pressing that old complaints and worries fall away. Where people feel important, purposeful, at the center of the world. It is by its very nature unsustainable and evanescent, but like a lightning flash it illuminates ordinary life. And like lightning, it sometimes shatters the old forms. It is a utopia itself for many people, though it is only a brief moment during terrible times. And at the time, they manage to hold both irreconcilable experiences, the joy and the grief. So we are back with Matisse. I do not paint things. I paint the differences between them. And we are back with Georgia O'Keeffe living simultaneously with terror and strength, terror and beauty. In my most recent blog post, I wrote about the coyote. The coyote is a character, a kind of transgressor, a trickster, one who lives at the boundary between things, one that can move back and forth between the differences, often combining, mixing up, reinventing, and reorganizing along that line of perceived reality. This coyote, this shapeshifter, I liken to the role of the artist and have learned a lot about that relationship from the wonderful Lewis Hyde book called Trickster Makes This World on Mischief, Myth, and Art. Here is an excerpt from this wonderful text. More conservative minds deprive coincidence of meaning by treating it as background noise or garbage. But the shape-shifting mind pesters the distinction between accident and essence and remakes this world out of whatever happens. At its obsessive extreme, such attention is the beginning of paranoia, as in all coincidence makes too much sense. But in a more capacious mind, it is a kind of happy genius, ready to make music out of other people's noise. Either way, the intelligence that takes accidents seriously is a constant threat to essences. For in the economy of categories, whenever the value of accident changes, so too does the value of essences. That whenever we recognize meaning between things, whenever we are able to combine or create a mode 
of simultaneous existence. The healer, the artist, the trickster. That we are in fact deeply changing and reconstructing reality or essences. One who has the tools of simultaneity, whose very existence recognizes the difference between things existing side by side, is one who can thrive in terror and beauty. One who can admit temporality. One who can step upon the stage of paradise of Arcadia and see the incredible paradise in which we live and recognize the shadow in the forest behind it all. <sighs> now for our What's in the Garden segment here at Top Hat. Last time I was telling you about the changes my cherry tree was going through. How her mustardy greenish yellow tone of new leaf that transition between bud and leaf was creating her own warm temperature zone. Well, now she is fully into greener, yellower, greener leafage and looks so mature in her summer self. Today, earlier, we had quite a torrential downpour, short-lived but rather dramatic lots of rain, and I felt the plants rejoicing. And after that, even as the sky broke into beautiful blue shapes and light was let through, there was still an incredible lingering wind that was very blustery and aggressive off and on, and the play of light both between and behind the clouds at once a gorgeous summer day, and at the next moment in shadow, cold and windy. Two things happening simultaneously at once, summertime and a cold, threatening shadow and wind. Woke this morning to find some wonderful raccoon paw prints in my plastic turquoise kitty pool, my oracle pool, and I was pleased to find them. Yesterday I spent the entire day in the garden looking at one of my very tall and handsome charred plants in the garden plot. Big, gorgeous leaves, rainbow charge, so wonderful magenta, quinacridone, orange, and red stems leafing out into gorgeous orangey-green leafage, yellow-green leafage. 
I started with a graphite drawing of this one charred plant, really diligently trying to figure out how to fit her extraordinary expressive shape into a rectangle and still somehow maintain her integrity of form. And I haven't even mentioned the smoke bush yet. In her very early state, a slender but strong candelabra with raised arms holding at the very tips a rich, deep, burgundy bud of leaves. She will soon become one of our main protagonists. This concludes our second episode of The Painted Garden. Thank you so much for joining me here again. Coming soon will be news about the postponement of my Oxbow residency and how I'm creatively transforming that project to fit the times we're in. And in the meantime, please visit my website, KimberlyTrowbridge.com. Send me a message or give me a hell yeah on social media so I know that you're here with me, listening. Thank you again for joining me in the Painted Garden.